Welcome to the first episode of the Ill Will Podcast. Today we're talking to Tyler Rhodes of Aftermath of a Trainwreck, Gutshot, and of course, Crow Killer. I've known Tyler for more than 20 years. We met at Salt Lake Hardcore Shows, one of my oldest friends, and Crow Killer is probably my favorite band for reasons we get into on this episode. Yeah, love the dude. Um, coming up... On October 2nd, Crow Killer will be doing their mysterious cover set at the Benefit Show at the Beehive for Gear Fund Collective. You'll also catch Absolve doing Gorilla Biscuits, Snake Eyes as Hatebreed, ZK as TUI, Run Into the Sun as Snapcase, Portraits as Title Fight, Snuff Tape as AFI, and Recidivist as Slayer. The next day, October 3rd at the Beehive, one of the best bands doing New York hardcore right now, Combust is playing with Recidivist and Spent. On October 6th at Kilby Court, you got Ceremony, Spy, and Soul Glow. That'll be a party. Um, On October 13th, Gel, Ribbons, and probably more to be announced are playing at the Beehive. And I'm still peer pressuring Jaws to convince Scowl to ditch out on their show with the Bronx and come over and play that. We'll see if that works. Um, and then the mighty Wild West Fest. I don't know if everybody realizes how fucking cool it is that Salt Lake has a hardcore fest or how hard it is to put on a hardcore festival. Big shout out to Mike and Marquise. They're doing this the right way. Um, so if you haven't gotten your tickets, get them. It helps to get those tickets sold up front so they can make sure everything runs smoothly. And y'all have seen the flyers. Mind Force, Section Hate, Dead Heat. It's going to be nuts. Um, One more show to call out. October 18th at Metro Music Hall. The one and only Victim to None is opening up for Napalm Death and Brujeria. Um, So that's going to be wild. Anyways, let's get into it. This is my conversation with Tyler. Where did you grow up? What were your early days like? Um... So I grew up in Bountiful uh, most of my life. I, I probably was in West Valley for like the first five years of my life and then moved to Bountiful. Um, so I don't know. I grew up in kind of a, I guess, an upper middle class neighborhood. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, my parents bought what they called a HUD home back then. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. No, it's that. So it's kind of like a lower income, like first time home buyer type deal that they did. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, it was like definitely uh, a, a transition, even at that age of just like the type of people that we lived around. For sure. So, yeah, it definitely uh, didn't. Uh, I never really felt like I fit in and Bountiful. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> so, I get that. Um and your family is pretty Mormon, weren't they? Oh yeah, super LDS. Um, in fact, it's it's uh, I don't know it, it it gets discussed a lot as an adult with my parents, even still to this day. You know, and they're mm-hmm. they're not as pushy with it as they used to be, but you know, she'll my mother will she'll drop little things here and there. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, growing up, was there like music around your house? What was your first introduction to that? Um, my dad into like, like old school, like hi-fi stuff. Like he had like 
he to this day he still has like old vintage like sae like brands like that's like enormous uh-huh. like it takes up and uh he had a pretty awesome record collection for like you know that time like he was into a lot of blues and uh you know he kind of dabbled in like sammy hagar van halen boston mm. but he mostly liked like like stevie ray vaughn jimmy hendrix like yeah some other robin trower was a big one for him that he liked um so that was like my introduction to like music and uh it's kind of funny like i never even thought about it until now but like like quality of sound like right from the get-go was like pushed into me at a really really young age you know like Mm -hmm. how everything should sound and Right. my little stereo and like had it in my bedroom and my daddy come in and he's like making me change the eq on and he's like you want to run it <laughs> flat as possible to get the quality of your sound you know and then you know adjust from there like so yeah at a young age i that was my introduction to music i guess yeah i um, mean it's interesting because and growing up in a mormon household but also growing up with really loud riffs around like, yeah, I mean, you had <laughs> Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like, it, it's that's a funny contrast. Yeah, and in fact, it's funny because my dad was complaining to my uncle about it. He's like, oh, yeah. like I, have, I have no idea why he's into all this shit, you know. And and uh, <laughs> my my uncle's like, well, it's your fault. He's like, you you know, you introduced him to all this stuff and. Yeah, I I remember one day. So my dad had a really nice vinyl player, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how, but he got a hold of my disembodied die blurry record, (laughs) and he played that, and he was like, "What the hell is this?" (laughs) And I was like, "He's like, is this even music?" Like he was so like horrified by it, but literal devil music. Yeah, but like (laughs) it was awesome because like it sounded so good through that, and I never had. (laughs) <laughs> the opportunity to play on because he was way meticulous about it he didn't want me to touch his stuff so yeah like i had sure. to have my own record player and i think i got it at, like the di or something like that for uh, sure but uh yeah it was crazy like uh every once in a while he would just find one of my records and play it just to see what i was listening to <laughs> were there any other ones that he like reacted to uh so i traded I think I was in junior high. I can't remember what record it was. Or it was a CD I traded. And I can't, for the life of me, remember what it was. But it was ACDC, The Razor's Edge. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I brought that home and I was listening to it. And he put it in there and gave me this whole lecture about, like, devil music. And, <laughs> dude, it was wild. Like, That's he funny. never he never understood like the transition from like his music to mine. Like it was a progression, yeah, right. you know, the times, I guess you could say, you know, and, and we talk about it now actually. And he'll say like, well, you know, if my dad heard what you guys were doing now, he'd, he'd roll over in his grave, you know, but I guess, you know how he was when I was a kid, he was always telling me, you know, how terrible his music was or whatever. So. Right. Right. Um, so did that lead to you playing guitar? Was was he supportive of that, or how did you get into? Uh, you know, so my mom had, my mom had an old like classical like Hondo guitar, mm-hmm. 
and uh she just had it she tried it out for a little bit and i just started like tinkering with it and like my parents saw it as like a positive like outlet for me to like play like classical guitar obviously and i was riffing on that thing dude i was not playing classical (laughs) guitar at all like i was trying to play by ear like you know stuff in the 90s that we grew up with like yeah on the radio i i think there was a time where like i had an obsession with the deftones like i loved that and you know i was super young in fact that was one of my first shows Mm -hmm. and uh yeah like i remember trying to play that on that little classical guitar and it's really funny so yeah i know exactly uh, like the riffs you'd be trying to play from the 90s from deftones yeah (laughs) I did the same thing with the acoustic guitar that I had, like learning Nirvana and Alice in Chains stuff. Oh yeah, <clears throat> probably playing Nirvana. it so bad, but you just yeah. wanted to pl- you wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, Nirvana was a big one for me, and I'm trying to think of who else I really got into from that era. But I, I was kind of on the fence about Pearl Jam. I liked them, but um, and I like them more now. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so my parent I think my parents just got tired of me like playing nonsense and not really knowing what I was doing. So they <laughs> threw me into guitar lessons and um yeah, I just kinda took off from there. And then I had a friend that had an electric guitar down the street and I begged and begged to get one. Like I wanted one way bad. So I think yeah, I got a paper out and I paid for it. That's how I got nice. my first guitar. So my what parents guitar. Yeah, my parents always made me earn everything I had. That's good. Um, my first guitar was a Tanara Telecaster knockoff. Okay, I'm sure that sounded sick. <laughs> it actually didn't sound that bad. And it, uh-huh. it was a Crate 15, 15 watt solid state, you know, that we all right. had. For sure. Turn, turn the mids all the way down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, zero mids, for sure. Yeah, zero mids. <laughs> Um, so you, you were listening to like Deftones and grunge stuff. Do you remember your first introduction to hardcore? Um, so I, I don't know. Like I really, I really had a wide array of music like that I liked and I loved Green Day at the time too. I think we all did. For sure. Um, and my friend's older brother, um, he was a lot older. He's probably eight years older and he had a wide array of records and CDs and stuff I got too. And, um, he trying to think of what he gave me, but he gave me a whole like mess of CDs. And then he gave me a sieve set your goals CD. Hmm. And he said, I don't like this. You can have it. (laughs) And so I took all these records home and I listened to them. And that Civ record, I was like, I don't know if it's because I like owned it and it was one of my first like CDs that I owned. Yeah. Or if it just actually was that good where I just, I was so gravitated to it. And I had no idea that it had any ties with hardcore or anything at the time. Like it was just, to me, it was just punk music, you know? And that's what kind of led me down the path of like the Punkorama compilations and uh, like I, I really started to 
ingest more of like the punk side of things. Like I was really into H2O at Agnostic Front and um, like those bands kind of came from listening to those uh, compilations. Yeah, I was going to say that that <clears throat> there was always stuff on those Epitaph compilations. That oh, was, dude. Yeah, like on the hardcore side of things. Yeah, like that was like that was like my favorite thing when like victory would release like a victory style or punkorama yeah. or i think uh equal vision had a couple of comps i can't remember what they were called but um i remember hearing trial for the first time on that and like mm-hmm. bane and like just tons of bands like that's how you figured out like who was around and who was writing music and like i think it was punkorama 5 when i first heard madball Mm-hmm. and i was just blown away i was like yeah. dude this is my shit like <laughs> i remember that i mean i think you and i are like this you and i are the same age and we had a lot of the same influences coming up and those there was that and then there was one that had refused on it like an yeah comp, i think and then yeah. obviously the victory ones like those were those yeah. were the start for me so you remember straight face right yeah 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 so when they did that punk tour that was one of my first shows too. And that came from those comps. So it was just kind of. When, when you went to that, that tour, did you get that it was, there was a difference between punk and hardcore or were not you just really. like at a punk show? Not, not yet. No, like mm-hmm. there was not, I mean, there was like, kind of like you could tell, like, I don't know, like you could tell like who was into what mostly, but. I mean, like there's the Snapcase face to face H2O tour. Mm-hmm. Like, and I love face to face. Face to face is still one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that there was that much of a divide back then that there is now with punk and hardcore. Like, um, like I saw Ensign and the Suicide Machines together. I remember that show um, at Bricks. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just so many like, uh, good bands that like kind of fuse that gap. Like Sick of It All was on Fat Records. Like, yeah, and all those fat bands. Like I ate them up. Like I liked every one of them. So it just kind of, it was an easy transition to get into the harder stuff. I guess I could say. At first, right. like I was introduced to Earth Crisis and I hated them. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like much. it. Yeah, it was just too much. But over time, like it just kind of sunk in and like you know, I, I didn't really pay too much attention to the political side or like, you know, the lyrical content of a lot of that stuff. I just loved the music. Like it was just awesome. Yeah. So do you remember the first show you went to that was like a, a Salt Lake hardcore show? Like not like a punk package tour or something, but yeah. Well, I always say that like, like this is the closest to hardcore, like, like Salt Lake hardcore that I came just because, uh, Jeremy Chatelain was singing for him, and it was this band called Handsome. I'm sure yeah. we've talked about this before. Oh, good. Um, and I saw them with Silverchair and Local Age when I was like 13 or 14 years old at Saltaire. Crazy. Um, I I was because I was in the seventh grade, and I loved Silverchair, and somehow mm-hmm. talked my mother into taking me there. <laughs> um, and so I went with her and this, or I went with my friend Jason. Uh, he and I went together and 
I, I bet you were the youngest people there. We had to have been. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, there was a lot of people that were super young that went to that. So I don't know. I, I feel like now, like you don't see as young a kids that shows that you, you, that you did when we went, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, like I don't see people that are younger than like 16 anymore. It's kind of right. weird. Right. Um, but, uh, anyway, as far as like, uh, like real hardcore, um, gosh, man, I mean, you're trying to, you're asking a question that's like a long time ago. <laughs> so I, <I'm> trying to <laughs> think. Um, um, I can tell you the one that stands out to me the most. Yeah. And that was, uh, Brothers Keeper and Unearthed. At, at the basement of Wagstaff. Oh yeah. Um I I did see no, I did see 78 days and ensign before that. That was that same summer though, I think. If yeah. I remember correctly. So um yeah, I don't know. They all just kind of crammed together that time, but for sure. Yeah, Brothers Keeper and Unearth was the most memorable one for me because I didn't really know anybody that I'm friends with now. Right. And that was my introduction to like who I know to this day, like friends yeah. I've made, things like that. And um it's the first time I ever like tried to mosh because I was always scared to. <laughs> and uh I caught one from Troy Trujillo and he <laughs> sent me right to the ground and Tommy Green grabbed me by <laughs> the legs and pulled me out of the pit and I don't really remember a whole lot of it, but uh <laughs> I just remember like Tommy and Troy were just like, I think they were super worried that something was wrong, you know, but <laughs> after they, after I like came to, then everything was chill, you know, but that's yeah, like, that's, a, that's a proper hazing. It's, yeah. That's so, proper. <laughs> um, and I don't think Troy, and I don't think Troy did on purpose. It's just, no. it was just like, uh, yeah, it was, it was wild dude. Like, and I, dude, I had a headache for like a week. It was, it was awful <laughs> i remember those like me and my kid brother the first shows i went to which is me and him coming up from provo to salt lake and that feeling of being in a room where there's like a hundred people feels like everybody knows each other except for you mm-hmm. like that was that i i hadn't thought about that in years but i remember that feeling of like the first like real like local shows mm-hmm. um, it's pretty overwhelming yeah well and i remember like everyone that like was fairly new they're like yeah if they don't know you and you mosh you'll get your ass beat like they'll <laughs> fuck you up don't don't do that you know and like one day i was just like i don't care like i'll get beat up <laughs> like this is badass you know yeah and i think i want to say that was opened up for show too like when they open mm. like uh they open for that if i remember right i could be wrong but yeah. um yeah that was that was awesome. And on Earth, I don't even think on Earth had a bass player then. Or <laughs> without one. I don't know. It was a long yeah. time ago. I do remember that when Brothers Keeper played, uh the guitarist hit somebody in the face with a guitar and like there's blood everywhere and the guitarist oh, no. felt so bad he gave the kid the guitar. And I was like, <laughs> that's badass. I mean that's that's kind of a beautiful example of hardcore and the appeal of it that like yeah you know you're attracted to it because of its intensity but at the same time in most situations there's a connection that it's special like did you're always scared happen like 
like you never you never went to a hardcore show just like thinking like everything was just gonna be like chill like some crazy was always bound to happen and you were stoked to find out what it was you know <laughs> like there yeah uh like i looked forward to that at the time like it was exciting it was something to talk about you know and yeah um so with those shows i i'm sure i mean we were around the same time you got to know everybody you started playing in bands with but what was the first band or the first attempt at it that you did um so you know jake woody it um me and him started playing music together and he he uh had a guitar i had a guitar and we're like we want to be in a band really bad so i went and bought some like garbage ebay drum set (laughs) and like i started playing drums and uh i don't know i i was okay but i wasn't like super good and uh it just nothing ever gained traction mostly on my part because i just wasn't a good drummer so it just didn't really fit and i remember we were hanging out with uh i think richard and blake and they came over to remember marshall yeah 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 so we actually played at marshall's house he had like a mother-in-law house it was like super mm-hmm. run down and that's where we played and like we played for those guys and i could just tell they're like what the fuck is this like <laughs> they were not into it <laughs> but but that's i mean that's the seeds of aftermath of a train wreck right there right yeah somewhat uh it was uh this this uh, guy named Chris Vanderstaff, and I think you know him. You know him, right? Rings a bell. Yeah. So he he said he was a drummer, and he wanted to start a band with Blake. And uh, he told Blake that I played guitar, and I went over to where Chris lived. I think Blake lived there for a little bit too, and Will Moulton did too. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I like played around and they're like, ah, yeah, he can actually play. Like we should be in a band with him, you know? And we went to downtown music and goofed off a little bit. And I don't know how Blake got the key to whoever's practice space. It was, I can't remember. Dude, it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. But we went down there and goofed off for a little bit and it just never really gained traction either. Mm-hmm. And I think just Blake and I just wanted to be in bands so bad. Like there was always yes. that like drive and Blake's like one day he tells me, he's like, I want to play drums. And I was like, well, I got this shitty eBay set that's at Marshall's house. Like you can use that and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so he got it and they brought it over to the practice space um, and Jake Miller was using it too, I think at the time. And so me and Blake just started goofing off, like writing shit. And I think we wrote ch- the, the first riff to talk shit, get hit. Nice. And we're like, I think we can do this, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, we need a vocalist and a bass player. And, uh, I remember Trevor and Brooke had that project dead last. Yeah. And, uh, that kind of fizzled out. So I was like, well, let's get Brooke to sing and we'll find a bass player. And Blake's all, I bet Richard could do it. Yeah. And so we asked Richard to play and he's like, hell yeah. So it was literally like, I think 
Brooke was really the only one that had any experience <laughs> being in a band. And uh, and that was like a year and a half of like Carcano and Dead Last. Right? Yeah, and Carcano, like... Carcano was <laughs> sick, dude. Like that, I loved that band. That band was so good. And like, yeah. uh, it, they were like from the remnants of Burning Creation too, which, yep. dude, I'm so pissed that there was never any... Like there's a YouTube video, but that's like it yep. as far as recording, and it was they were fucking amazing. Yeah, I've had this conversation so many times with Byron. Yeah, I'm playing in like, Milk Money with him. It's like if you guys had recorded any of that music, that band would have been so much more significant. Like, because anybody who saw him, I remember seeing him at one of my first shows, and I was just like, "Holy shit, this is crazy." Yeah, Burning Creation was cool. Like they were super cool. Um. <laughs> I think I saw them at Kilby with Poison the Well, I want to say. And Martyr. Martyr yeah. and Poison the Well. Yeah. yeah. That show popped off, too. That was yeah. wild. <laughs> yes. To say um, the least. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so, y'all y'all got into a room, and how did it come together? Um, well, we, we needed another guitarist, I think, and... Uh, I was hanging out with Adam Priest at the time and he uh, he had been playing dabbling guitar a little bit too. I don't know how experienced he was. Can't really remember but anyway we started as a, a five piece and just started writing and riffing like whatever sounded good you know and um, we spent a lot of time in that practice space, just like goofing off and having a good time. Like, I, th- I think it was just more for fun than anything. Like, I don't think we ever yeah. thought that we were going to like tour or like actually write a whole record or any of that shit. Like it, it was right. just fun. Like at least I had a really good time when we first started out. I can't speak for everybody, but, <laughs> um, definitely like, I mean, it was probably my fondest memory growing up is as being in that practice space with those guys and you know uh just writing garbage that actually kind of sounded good you know yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. um i mean that's I, uh it's something about aftermath where it was like it was at that time i think the band sounded different but there was a sense of like what salt lake hardcore sounded like so i'm curious like what you were listening to or what you were pulling from when you were writing that stuff um a lot of integrity grimlock uh throwdown uh, oh gosh i'm trying to think uh more again uh disembodied martyr ad yeah i oh, mean there's so many bands that like because that at that time that was when like i was engulfing so many bands at once to kind of yeah. figure out like what I liked and what I didn't, you know, and I I think that's when I got into the more metal side of things when I kind of like taking a break from like the more punk or like traditional hardcore sound, you know what I mean? Like I was playing with a seven string, if it gives you any idea, you know, like, um, and the reason I was playing with a seven string is because like I saw Billy playing 78 days and I was like, this is fucking badass. Like, I got to get me one of those. And I was about to ask you if it was Billy because, yeah, like, that was like, he was playing a seven string in like 1999 with Deadfall. 
in hardcore bands and you did not see that like it yeah. was not a cool thing to do for like another 15 years yeah like a lot of us a lot of the bands that came out around that time were starting to like dabble with that like but i don't think any of them really took a ton of traction yeah like i remember that band tears of gaia they were playing the seven strings mm-hmm. um they weren't good though no. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh gosh i'm trying to think there's got to be more bands than just those i just can't yeah. think at the moment but, but billy's like billy's he always been very logical about stuff he's like if i'm gonna play heavy music i'll just play this well and i remember it in those bands it was so cool how he used it with 78 and like some of those melodic riffs he'd use well, i remember the first couple of cherim shows i saw he was playing with a seven too yeah and i think he did vocals and guitar for a minute yeah at the beginning but uh so at one point um jake joined i remember this jake woody at um yeah, and we were living together, and I'd hear him writing a bunch of stuff for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades record. So, when did you guys start getting serious about making a record? Um, honestly, it was uh, when Amendment Eighteen came through, mm-hmm. and uh, like all of us had this like nostalgia with like chorus of disapproval and for sure um, new age. Yeah, like new age, like Unbroken, like. Uh, mean season like all those bands that like were, were awesome. kind of like <laughs> dabbling in the metal side of hardcore i guess you could yeah. say like metalcore kind of but they they all had like a really unique sound i think to this day like you can always identify like a new age band versus totally. other and uh i mean we definitely didn't fit the bill with new age i don't think at the time. <laughs> but uh i remember mike hartsfield talking to Blake and he's like, I want to start new age again. And like, I want to put you guys on it. And me and Blake were like, what the fuck? Really? Right. <laughs> like, that'd be it, crazy. It was so like weird, you know? And like him and Blake have this chemistry, like where they're just always on the same level. Like to this day, like, like they just, they click. Like, I think since he's moved to California, that's who he spends most of his time with. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, like, uh, just Amendment 18 and them coming to Salt Lake and Mike expressing like how he felt about the band is what made us decide to write a record. So tell, tell me about the recording experience because I remember stopping by the studio uh, one day and it was pretty interesting. Yeah, there was a lot of... <laughs> I don't even know what words I would use to describe <laughs> it, but it was just like, like Bruce Kirby was different we'll say. And, you know, we, we went through him because he was like the, the go-to guy for Salt Lake hardcore, like the Lazarus yeah. project clear. And I think clear. 78 days and Deadfall both went there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just remember like him getting so frustrated with Blake, like when we did drums, like it was just like, and he was that way with all of the hardcore drummers from what I remember. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. just Blake, like he would just, be super meticulous about the drumming and like mm-hmm. he would try to change your music a little bit even yeah. like he like wanted so bad to be involved in the writing process too it was super weird yeah like overstepped the bounds there yeah and like i remember one day like we showed up and we got there before he did and he rolls rolls up in this like 
retro motorcycle from the 80s and uh he's wearing a life sentence shirt and it's like brand new uh-huh. and the one that said go ahead keep smoking i want you to die on it yeah and dude we all just started laughing like it just he was goofy dude like interesting cat yeah he was i mean he was nice but man he was just he was different <laughs> so, i mean when you when you go back and listen the record sounded good it sounded really big and really full and i remember listening to it and being like i'm I'm glad this came out of that because I just remember there were a lot of stories around working with him. Yeah. That were interesting. And I think we were the last band to work with him, mm-hmm. like out of the hardcore scene. I'm not sure, but um, once Andy Patterson kind of made himself yeah. known, like everyone wanted to go to him. For sure. But, uh, you know, and I think it was because he had roots in hardcore and like, of course, he, he just got it. You know what I mean? 100%. So the, the when that record came out, you guys did do some touring and I remember going to some new age fests. Um, what was that like heading out for the first time? Um, so I didn't actually play new age fest. I wasn't in the band at that point. Um, but before that, we did like a our first tour like and we borrowed a van from robert lavelle Mm -hmm. that had got out robbie best drummer uh it had like a bunch of trucker like seats in the back of it like two of them like bench seat and it was isolated to where you could put equipment in it was super cramped like Uh there wasn't a whole lot of room in it but he let us borrow it and we rotated sitting on the floor and i remember brooke almost ran a stop sign one day and slammed on the brakes and all the gear came falling on top of me <laughs> and it was just like a spectacle for everyone like everyone was laughing and i was just like this fucking sucks <laughs> so what, like, where were you playing who were you playing with then uh so i think the first show we did was in it was either vegas or long beach i don't remember mm-hmm. but I remember the gear falling on me and long, like right before we played the Long Beach show. <laughs> and uh, we opened for, I think, Gather or or Seven Generations, I think is what yeah, it was. One of those, that era of California yeah. vegan straight edge stuff. Yeah. And we were like totally out of place, dude. Like we did not, <laughs> we did not jive with those guys. And I remember like, all the Redlands dudes came up and like supported us, like all yeah. of the dudes in Death Star. And uh, that was like the only cool thing about that show. I remember <laughs> like, and then uh, we played Arizona. Uh, we played Phoenix with Undying. Wow. I want to say Undying was on that whole tour. I don't remember, but I remember uh, Undying, Undying did headline when we played in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And it was when uh, they had the female singer. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, like, be like anywhere inside. It was the middle of summer. Like, even the venue we played, I don't know, see. And I was just like, this is insane. Like, <laughs> the, I guess for a first tour experience, I got to experience the worst yeah. of everything in some weird way. But, uh, yeah, so yeah. Arizona, Long Beach, I, I, I feel like we played two shows in California, but I don't remember what the other one was. It gets blurry, huh? Yeah, it's 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 wild. Like, 
I mean, I was only 19 at the time. I wasn't very yeah. old. It's um, crazy to think back on that, how young we were in those first bands. Yeah, um, and, and, like, what we were doing. Like, it's it's nuts. Like, I, I can't picture a 19-year-old kid, like, doing what we were doing. Like, Yeah, man. I was recording with uh, Matt Mascarenas last night, demoing some Run Into the Sun stuff. And it just is crazy that he was like 15 or 16 when we went out on our first tour and we had to get his mom's approval when he joined, when he played with Cherum. Yeah. It's, yeah. There was a, there was a drive back then. I think it's, I mean, you still see it today with young bands, but like, even if you were like doing it for fun and friendship, you, we really wanted to get out there. Yeah. And it was, it was different back then too. Cause you didn't, I mean, you, I, th- I feel like we had the internet, like, but it wasn't wasn't the same. I don't think everybody quite networked the same as they do now. Like I think oh. there was still like, you know, a lot of uh, like snail mail still. Yeah. Like, I, I don't phone think. Calls. That, yeah, phone calls, things like that. Like you know, and there was a network of people that booked shows, and they all were conversing all the time, like throughout the country. You know, they weren't talking on message yeah. boards or right i don't i don't very know. personal yeah it was each other like super well like nowadays it's like hey like we want to book here like so anybody anybody right. have a plug for this you know and um it's just different like and if you wanted to go to a hardcore show like you had to either know somebody or be paying yeah. attention to where flyers were dropped off at like you couldn't you couldn't sit at home and yeah and just you know, at the palm of your hand, know something was happening and, and, the, you know, bands like that would come through, you couldn't listen to them any other way other than like we talked about earlier, like the comps or being at a show and the, and a band that you've never heard rolling through and, you know, just giving yeah. you a chance to decide whether you liked them or not. Like it was, it's just so different. And I miss that. Like I miss, yeah. I miss the, the inconvenience of all of it because that's what made it fun. Like, and like you could go, hard. you could go to like a, a skate park or like, you know, even the grocery store and like, you'd see somebody and they'd be wearing like a, like a yeah. chain of strength shirt or something like that. And you're like, Hey, I probably have seen you before. Like, yeah. And you could go up and talk to them about like music and stuff and they just got it. And it's like now, like, you see somebody wearing anything like related to that. And it's just like, no, I don't go to shows. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just actually different. It's a good segue. Cause I wanted to ask about crow killer and you know, you and Blake coming back together and doing crow killer, how that started and how it's been different. So. So the, uh, the way we came about, like, I mean, obviously it kind of came from, you know, tragedy. Yeah. Um, we all shared a practice space uh, to that memorial show for Brad. Um, and uh, I'll be honest with you at the time, like I was kind of over it. Like I didn't, I didn't yeah. want to play music anymore. I didn't, you know, like I, I had started my new job. Like I, I, I just bought a house. Like I was mm-hmm. like, I was still going to shows like, on occasion but like i didn't want to play music at all mm-hmm. and uh i remember right before 
Brad's passing, uh, Mike Fromm from Arizona, he asked Aftermath to do a reunion show uh, with like things and where Eagles Dare. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, Yeah, we'll buy you Peter Piper pizza. And that's <laughs> like, that was like the for everybody. So fuck yeah, let's do it, you know? <laughs> and Good. so we did that. And uh, Josh and Brad came down to see us because they had never saw Aftermath before. Yeah. And I met Brad that day and uh it just like I don't know, for whatever reason, like I connected with him in a way that was like it reminded me of like why I got into hardcore, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I was doing shit like that, like taking some old piece of shit and you know, that had bald ass tires and driving down to Arizona to see some band that like Right. You know, like it it just reminded me of like why I got into it and like just everything like it so that being said when he passed away it 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 got to me and yeah like it it made me want to play again and uh when uh blake and josh were like uh meeting at the practice space like in between close grip and aftermath sets like they were like kind of goofing off with, I think Dom was playing there too. Cause he was playing for Cherim at the time. And so they started writing like what would have become fight back later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of, it never gained traction at all. Like, I mean, I think just cause nobody really liked Dom. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm not sure exactly why that didn't pan out, but, uh, anyways, uh, I got a phone call from Blake one day and he's like, Hey, like you want to start another band with me and Josh? And I was actually with Josh at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Josh and I started hanging out a lot because we live so close together. And, um, I was like, yeah, I'm with Josh right now. <laughs> That's right. He says, yeah, like we should find a drummer and, and start writing because Blake just had like uh, this fascination with Fight Back and, uh, mm-hmm. or, well, what would have been Fight Back later on. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, so we got together and Josh was like, well, let's, let's have Mike play, you know, and, I mean, it just made sense because they wanted to continue what they had started with Brad. Yeah. And, uh, it just felt right. I don't know. Like, it just, like, we all just put so much emotion into that band when we first started doing it. And, uh, Blake was playing bass at the time and vocals and, uh, it was working well. Like, um, I was surprised because Blake actually is a really good bass player and like he can, sing and play at the same time i struggle with that i mean you know blake he does anything for a week and he's good at it yeah it's just as blake if he if he stays interested in it (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah i mean it went well and i i think that it just kind of like we wanted blake to concentrate more on like 
the energy and like be more yeah. free to like concentrate on vocals and and uh, also his live show as a front man has like always been top notch yeah so i think that's what we were kind of going for and he's like he's like well do you want me to like be like cool your jets and i was like no nah, man like arkham asylum mm-hmm. like i want it <laughs> like that's i want a deep to be, cut shout out <laughs> yeah like I, I i was like we need to do like an arkham sound and yeah and, and i think we we're playing like drop b at the time and um Marquise and Elliot were always at our practices because they were at Mike's. And it was just like, we were so meticulous about who we were going to have play bass because, like, mm. it had so much meaning. And everyone we asked was, wasn't into it. And uh, so we asked, finally, we were just like, you know what? Elliot's been to every one of our practices. He knows how to play guitar. Let's just, let's give him a try, you know? And I mean, he fit. And so we started playing and um i remember outlet released their last record mm-hmm. and blake put it in the group chat and he's like how do we sound heavier than this <laughs> that's a good that's a that's a good challenge and i was like well i got a seven string i'll bring it to practice <laughs> and so I tuned it down to drop A and we played everything we played in drop B and drop A. And it yeah. just, it was just like, okay, like this is what we're doing. Mac. And uh, Josh plays left-handed and there's not really a whole lot of left-handed seven strings out there. Yeah. And so he restrung and set up his Telecaster for uh, that tuning. And I don't know, it just works. I mean, it just, yeah, everything we did it just came together and I don't know. I was yes. really happy that we got to do that. And then like our first show was with Jesus piece and I'd never even heard that band before. And I was just blown away. Like, cause I kind of had shut down at that point with newer hardcore bands. Like I didn't pay attention to anybody anymore. And like, I think the warriors was like the newest band I had listened to that I really <laughs> loved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and that's still ages old yeah and uh yeah like jesus piece was just so fucking good and you know i i talked to him after the set and they were just like i remember talking to their guitar player and they were comparing us to like zeo and like all these bands that like we grew up listening to and they were just super young and i was and i I immediately understood that like a lot of those East coast bands, like have the fast, have this fascination with like what we grew up listening. Right. To. And so like, I just, I don't know. I just fed off of that. Like that mm-hmm. younger kids were like trying to revive like the nineties medical sound. And uh, so we just ran with it. I mean, I, I put everything I had into that, into the writing of that. And I think we all did. I mean, we all were very passionate about it. Yeah. I mean, you can feel it. Like when I, when I heard that, like having grown up with you guys and, and knowing like the music we came from, the, there's just an authenticity to it. And, you know, obviously honoring Brad in the process of carrying that forward. Um, yeah. It fucked me up the first time I heard it, to be honest, like, like that plus Blake's honesty in the 
lyrics and the way that he writes about you know hardship and hard things like yeah yeah i mean and there's a lot of stuff that blake would write about like and after i would read it i'd be like what the fuck like that's dark yeah you know and like but i was i related to it like all of it you know what i mean yeah it's like honest yeah and so i don't know it was just everything i wanted it to be like it just it it felt really good i don't know um and then after uh we did the ep like we just decided to take it a little more seriously and um elliot had other interests so he left and uh it was kind of, we were just kind of like, well, we've got all this momentum. Like, what do we do? You know? And I think some of us were kind of like, we had our moment. Let's be done, you know? Right. And then, uh, we decided to at least get, uh, I don't remember who we played with, but it was a show we'd had booked and we needed to get it out of the way. Cause we didn't want to mm-hmm. cancel. And so we asked Matthew if he'd fill in and he said, oh, yeah, but I don't want to play drums. He says, I'll, I'll play <laughs> drums for, for this set. And then after, like, I'll play bass, you know. And Yeah, because he was probably playing in 13 other bands yeah. as a drummer and, at the time. And Mike was just like, I want to play bass. Like, I don't want to play drums anymore. Yeah. And uh, so I think we just convinced him that he's better off drumming. And I don't know. I think Matt kind of saved us. Yeah, because like he had, he had the youth. He had the, you know, he had a fresh mind with it. And I don't know, like when he joined, like when we started writing, it was next level. I mean, he's so talented. Yeah. You know, and that that was a huge element to, like, enslaved to one. Like, I mean, he he knew music theory better than all of us probably. And like, he was he's a guitar player. I mean, he's yeah, ever he's talented in every way he can do it all and like he pushed me and in ways that uh i didn't think i was capable of and i mean i can't speak for josh but i think just all around like he gave that element that was missing to really make the the record sound how we wanted to so yeah i I, i'm really happy with how enslaved the one turned out yeah so who are you guys covering at the benefit show um, <laughs> um i i want to say who it is but i think we want to keep it a surprise yeah i was um, just fucking with you um i real question though like um i've definitely been bugging you guys for like what's next and so now i get like a formal way to ask um what is next are you guys gonna write more what's where are you at so Josh and I have talked a lot about writing another EP. Um, it's weird. Like it's a scenario of like, we hit the ground running, like with tour, like, I mean, we got asked to tour with sanction of Amakara, which are yeah. fucking amazing bands, you know, typecast too. Um, so when we went on that tour, like that was the real deal for us. Like we had a lot of venues that were, packed with kids that you know were fresh and i mean we got a lot of good responses and we got all this momentum and then we 
had a combined show in Detroit with Every Time I Die, and I mean, everybody knows who they are, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia to where sure. where they are with uh, you know, the hardcore scene. They kind of branched off and brought a whole new like group of people into music, and it doesn't sure. necessarily involve all hardcore kids, you know. So we were excited to play for that crowd. And uh, when we were in Detroit, we got the phone call that they were shutting down venues and mm-hmm. bands were canceling tours because of COVID. And we we're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we were crazy to be across, on tour at that time. Yeah. Like we were halfway across the country, ready to go into Montreal, like across the border, you know? And yeah. Uh, they said, yeah, the show's canceled. Every time I die, is not playing the show anymore. And the venue's closed. And we were Crazy. told we were going to turn around and go home. And then last minute, uh, some kid found like a bar, like some hole in the wall, like outside of Detroit. I, I mean, this place was not what I expected. <laughs> we'll just say that. You know, it was pretty, it's pretty run down place. We were, we were, uh, not drinking bottled water. We were drinking out of mason jars. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was, it was a dumpy place. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> but that was my favorite show because like we played on the uh-huh. floor, the venue was packed. I mean, wall to wall kids. And I mean, they went off, dude. Like it was incredible. Like it, it just kind of goes to show that like hardcore kids can still make it happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah like you know the phone calls like it's still there you know it's not yeah not completely over and i and i think there were a lot of people that were still doing shows when they when they were supposed to not be because of the the lockdowns and stuff like that you know well it signaled how important it is to people right yeah you know and it's not just like some hobby like it really is community and support and so much else to it yeah and you know and i think that after that like it just kind of like it, we just kind of got shot in the foot. Like we couldn't yeah. do anything, you know? And so it was just kind of discouraging. And I think we kind of lost interest. For, and then we finally had our official release show after two years. And um, we kicked around the idea and then Blake got a job opportunity in California. So he took that. So he's been living there for a while. So, I mean, the only communication we really have is through text and, um, you know, he hasn't been able to show up and help write or anything like that. So we haven't really started writing an EP, but it's definitely been talked about. And I think we all still want to do it. It's just a matter of actually doing it and figuring out how we can get Blake to uh, be present to help write, you know, and yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like a lot of us have like brought up the, like the digital audio workstations and stuff like that. But dude, like I start going down that rabbit hole of how to like set it all up for like online interaction yeah. like that. And I'm just like, dude, I'm too old for this shit. Like <laughs> time, like I've yeah. got other shit going on and I just haven't yeah. quite figured it out yet. And I think Blake's kind of in the same boat where it's just, you know, yeah. work and kind of prior is a priority for that but for sure um well i'm glad it's being talked about yeah 
I mean, Josh and I live close enough together and Matt lives up this way now that, well, actually I think he moved back to West Valley. I can't remember, but the fact that we all live so close together, like, and we still spend time together, like, I think it'll happen. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously doing this, uh, cover set, like it's kind of revived some of the, you know, vibes that we have when we play together. Like, I mean, we were, we actually, Matt actually brought up recording gear and recorded us, recorded us doing the covers without bass and vocals yesterday. And Mm -hmm. he sent it to us today. And I was like, holy shit, this sounds so fucking awesome. (laughs) Like, talented dude. (laughs) You know, I, I was just like, yeah, like I, 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 things in my life just need to happen to get me excited before I do things, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But well, uh, we're um, yeah. I, I mean, I think you got the right people around you to do that. Um, we've been talking for an hour, um, and that's a lot of time. And I'm sure you've got better things to do. Um, I've got one last question though. Um, thinking back to when we were kids, like starting out, like borrowing Robbie's van and having gear fall all over the place. Um bugging Andy Patterson and recording sessions, all that jazz. Um, if you could go back, what would you tell yourself? Like, what would you tell somebody today who's 18, 19 and just wants to play in a hardcore band? Oh man. Put me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think honestly, just, you know, Everyone's a critic, right? I think for mm-hmm. me, like, there were a lot of naysayers that, like, was like, oh, like, you guys aren't musicians, like, this, that, and the other. Like, there's just a lot of people that had something to say. And at the end of the day, fuck them. Like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, as long as you're having fun and doing something that feels good, like, just just stick with it and the rest will come you know what i mean like put in the work and just enjoy yourself like don't don't let everybody cuz i'll be honest with you like i i grew up pretty insecure and and like when people were critical of what i did i took it to heart you know yeah. like i didn't i didn't like what people had to say about what i was doing you know and i think if i would have ignored that and just kept going like i would have had a lot more fun and that that's really what it's about 